Hello, Mixnet Cases. This is Nuke Chas, and this is a regular episode of Nutty Bites. This is going out during the dog days of podcasting. If you're listening to this later and saying, what is she talking about? Don't worry about it. But I've been doing an episode a day and pushing it out to my feed. There are like five, ten minute episodes talking about different movies and stuff. But I thought, uh, actually, Tech thought we would get the group together and we would talk a little more about movies, but not so much about movies, but the makers of movies. We are going to be talking about directors and we'll get into the hows and the whys in a moment. But first, as always, hi, I'm still tech. And we've invited our good friends, Jason. Hi, I'm PG Ray. Uh-huh. And Vox. I'm at best PG 13. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about directors and it- there's a million podcasts out there that will talk to you about good cinema. Cinema. Classic directors <laughs> that everyone needs to watch. Absolutely. There's a bunch of podcasts that'll go into the depth of the artistic merit and everything else that you care about when it comes to directors. What I want to talk about is when you see a, a trailer and it said, and you're looking at it and you're trying to decide, is this something I'm interested in? And then you see directed by. And if that directed by makes you say, yes, I'm going to watch that. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about directors that make us watch their movies. Does that sound about right? That sounds great. And, um, I'm, I'm going to expand on that just a little bit with, um, uh, these aren't the best directors. We're not trying to say that these are the masters of the craft and that everybody else is garbage. And I definitely don't want to open it up to the idea that, well, you didn't mention this obscure guy, so you obviously don't know nothing because you didn't watch Swedish movies of the 1930s, so you obviously don't know Bjorn Van Bjornsson, so you don't know any... No, 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 no. It's These Bjorn are the Van ones... Bjornsson is a genius. Yeah, I know that Bjorn Van Bjornsson and all of his... Like, like Bjorn versus Bjorn, a great movie... Must be seen, but being Bjornsson, being Bjornsson, also very good. But suddenly um, Bjornsson, suddenly also good. Also, I will say that Bjornsson strikes back and has a Bjornsson moment is a little. Eh, that's the one you can skip. I mean, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta completely skip Hardy Bjornsson. Right, and also Bjorn's daughter, the the the, the sort of gender flipped one they did. Oh, that one was genius! Wow, I, a, a little contrived, but anyway, to get off this tirade of made up stuff that we're doing here, okay? These are our favorites. We're not saying they're the best, and with the ones I'm going to talk about, and I don't want to talk for my co-hosts, but I'm just going to expand a bit that I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm saying that I like them and that like anyone, they are flawed. And that even with people, even with directors that I love their movies, there are some that are garbage and some that are great and some that are good and some that are kind of bad and some that are meh. And they sort of run the gamut. I'm not saying that you have to be in love with everything somebody does to enjoy their art. But, but so. I don't, you don't have to like everything that they've done and they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be perfect. There can be better. They don't have to do everything great, but they're, they're ones that we like for whatever reason that is. See, a- except for Bjorn Bjornsson, the Swedish director from the 1930s, because everything he did was amazing. Well, I mean, tech, I mean, 
being the resident Gemini on this podcast, mine are <clears throat> perfect. Mine are mine are absolutely perfect. Uh, as, okay. as the resident Libra, I can say that I can see both sides and I've judged them and you're suck because mine are as, better. As, so. the, as the guy who doesn't believe in astrology whatsoever, let me <laughs> let me point this out. Uh, I challenge you. I challenge both of you then, and I, I challenge you as well, Nutty. Um, while we're talking about our favorite directors, mm-hmm. let's acknowledge the worst movie they ever did. Oh, absolutely. Because you I would cannot, love to. You I cannot appreciate fantastic. the beauty of something without appreciating its flaws. Oh, okay, but you have to mention their horrible movie first. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Oh, no, no. Oh, I can you do can, that. You can, can explain do why you like them first. Come yeah, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> don't, tank, don't tank your director right out of the gate. That's like that's like going to the that's like going to the races and shooting the horse you're betting on in the knee. <laughs> wow. Do you know why I like this figure skater the best? Why lead pipe? Crap! <laughs> what you're saying is hey, that event led to a really good movie. Listen, what you're saying is your director's horrible movie is so bad it tipped the scales. Uh, well, if what up, 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 up. my off choice, yes, but no. <laughs> let's let's just let's let's just carry on. That's my challenge. That's my all challenge. Right, all right, all right, all right. I, I say, can we start with Nutty? Yeah. So we're gonna start with me. And this is. I'm also gonna say that I'm not listing all my favorite directors. We have a limit of who we're gonna talk about. And um, these are just the ones I'm thinking about right now. So I have a lot of directors that I really like, and mm-hmm. these are the ones I'm thinking about because it's actually made me watch a, a, a movie or two or five. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is who I thought of as soon as Tech came up with this uh, concept, and that is Taika Waititi because there have been a couple of times when I was thinking, uh-uh, when I'm watching a trailer. And then I see directed by Taika Waititi, and I say, oh, no, I'm all in. Now, I fell in love with his directing and his ideas with uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the original movie, all in. So that brought me about. And when I saw a trailer that was a comedy about Hitler youth, and all sorts of craziness and Rebel Wilson saying awful things. I was just like, in this climate, no way. I am checking out. And then it says, directed, written and directed by Taika Waititi. And I said, hang on. Cause that's I, a movie I need to Because see. I noped hard on this because the title of the movie, Jojo Rabbit, <laughs> is so monumentally stupid. And if you have nothing else to advertise your movie, it's the movie title. And if they can't come up with a better movie title than that, and even after watching it and loving it, I still don't get what the title's about. Um, it turned uh, out to be okay. Listen. It turned out to be better than okay. I, 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 it really was quite good. And we actually all watched it together and it was a great experience. And I love that movie. And the second time that it happened recently Mm -hmm. was my niece was talking about this show and she and her father were going nuts about it. And it was about pirates. And sometimes when they go nuts about certain things, it is not my speed. And I was just starting to check out. And I Googled it and I saw written and directed by Taika Waititi. And so I started watching Our Flag Means Death, which is an amazing, which is a, com- which is a comical look at pirates in the 1800s of which Taika Waititi is playing Edward Teach. Blackbeard. Blackbeard the yeah. pirate. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's awesome. It is amazing. It is oh, an yeah. amazing show. Um, Our Flag Means Death is just, I, I'm in love with it. I need a season two. It is ha, tells so many great stories at the same time as being really funny. Uh, I think that what we do in the shadows is kind of a perfect movie for me. Like, I love that movie. I can watch it a million times. I really do dig the um, TV show, although that's not really Taika. He, he directed a couple of the episodes, but, you know, he kind of handed it mm-hmm. off to other people. Um, I, we, I'm sure everybody loves what Taika did to the Thor movies because they were kind of sleepers. And then Thor Ragnarok came around and, hey, I'm Cork. Made of rocks, <laughs> and we all yeah. fell in love. And he is the one that brought all of those little shorts coming in between of Team Thor and what was Thor doing in between so, those, you know, with Avengers Civil War and all of that. Like that all comes from Taika. What is his worst movie? I've not seen anything that I don't like, but I am going to predict that his worst movie is either going to be, um, a new TV series called Time Bandits, and I'm assuming it's it's based on the what? Terry Gilliam. Whoa, 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 whoa! What? Or, it's good to be the king. <laughs> or that's, that's history of the world. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. okay. Or Akira. What Taika Waititi is doing, Akira? Oh no! Listen, I just oh, announced or yes. or people are going to get really mad at this i'm probably going to love this and the internet's going to hate it mm. the untitled taika watiti star wars film taika has already said he's already said that he is going to go he, he's going to go somewhere else in the world and not bring canon characters in he's going to do his own thing which is either going to be brilliant or horrible disaster. But Speaking of what of... I've actually watched, I'd probably say the Inbetweeners mm-hmm. is the least, my least favorite. He's also great in a, as an actor in things he doesn't direct because you said brilliant, but he's also shiny. shiny. Because when he yeah. plays the hermit crab in Moana, shiny. So shiny. that's Absolutely that's a testament amazing. to Taika's. Um, Taika Taika is great at realizing characters. Oh yeah. I mean the the odder the better. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, literally, he made Hitler enduring and funny. Yeah. Like, like he made imaginary made, Hitler. Yeah, he made yeah. imaginary deranged Hitler. Look, 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 look. Yes. You that, put that, Hitler in a one piece, okay? That opening 30 seconds when they pick up the hand grenade yeah. is probably one of the best scenes ever put in when, cinema. When Hitler's dining on Unicorn. Yeah, when he gets all pouty and says he's going to dine on Unicorn without JoJo. Oh, so good. And and no, then I love and the then, swimming when he's underwater. <laughs> but then the very end of the movie where all you see is a pair of shoes. Oh, so that was what I was going to say too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because that shows the power that he's got that he understands cinematography and he understands storytelling that he can make something as Stupidly brilliant as Jojo Rabbit, which is a ridiculous farce comedy until the last 10 minutes when all of a sudden he hits you in the head with a boxing glove and goes, no, it's still World War II and it was still stupid. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you just go, wow. I think the significance, the best significant part of that way that scene was done is that those shoes were never focused on. Those shoes Mm -hmm. were never put. They were not a Chekhov's gun. Yeah. They were they were mentioned, but you're right. But they never hung the lampshade on it. Mm-hmm. But you understood it, yeah, think, almost think, immediately. 
one of the things that I really appreciate also about that film is when they're towards the end and it's like the final battles or whatever, and you've got Jojo's friend being handed uh, the the supplies and the weapons and everything. And you see these little, little kids going out and fighting and, and you're like, Oh, that's completely insane. And then you're like, no, that's mm. what it was. So, so Taika has this gift for not just realizing characters and bizarre storytelling, but for using that exactly to deliver those poignant moments. Yeah. He does this in a, in a lot of works where, I mean, even, even in, in the Thor movies, there are moments where it's like, yeah, this is all funny. This is jokey. This is, ooh, that resonated. And it's a comic book movie, right? He's, yeah. he made the most out of, uh, like out of the box of the comic book movies, the most wacky of a wacky genre, but he still gave you those moments where it, you felt something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I love him. Yeah. If you've not seen Thor Love and Thunder yet, I haven't. Okay. Then, but yeah, I can't wait. Then all mm-hmm. of things that all of things that Steve said that Rock said are one hundred percent true and on display in that movie. Um, he turns a movie that is just it's he takes a mishmash of Thor tidbits and turns them into something that makes you want to go read the comics. And I think that's the highest mm-hmm. compliment you can give a comic yeah. book movie. And what mm-hmm. I like is like for instance, I'm going to go back to Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit, the book is not a good book. There's a <laughs> lot of like really creepy, weird things that happen in that book. And he was reading it on vacation and was like, "Yeah, I don't like where this is going, but I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to make it my own thing." Who um, vacations with the weird, creepy book. And then, and then there's um the story of uh, Edward Teach as he was researching because he wanted to do this show, and he goes. And all the research I found is nobody knows if it's true because it's all based on this one account, but there's no actual train of evidence mm-hmm. that a lot of people think it's just based on stories. So I don't need to research anymore. I'll just make up my own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's been able to do like adaptations where he knows what to throw away. Mm-hmm. And what, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people get mad when an adaptation is done poorly, but sometimes you don't need certain things from the book. You just add your own flavor and he, he does it very well. So that's, that's mm-hmm. my first pick. So who's next? I think, so, I, I think if I, if I, if I could venture to go next, somewhat something from one of my favorites, uh, it's already been mentioned, uh, Time Bandits, Terry Gilliam. He's a great director is not only a member of one of my formative comedy influences in Monty Python's Flying Circus. And the only American at the time. No, it isn't. I came Mm. here for an argument. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Uh, But he's also a wonderfully uh, imaginative and bold visionary when it comes to the movies he makes oh. you look at a movie like brazil oh my god i love brazil you so look much. at this on you look at you look at the story on paper and you'd be like why would anybody ever fund this why would anybody ever want to make this it should not work and why of all people are you going to cast robert de niro in this role <laughs> as, it, as as mario the plumber yeah. the, essentially the, the, as a dark um, vigilante dark plumber yeah mm-hmm a vigilante plumber in a dystopian society. Like it's just one of those things where it shouldn't work, but everything comes together in this way that it's hard to describe why it works. But if but I was it works, but if you take the movie Brazil 
and you make it again with girls in short skirts and call it Sucker Punch. Ah, yes. Apparently it works again. But this is the thing, (laughs) is influence influence upon others is a metric I use for directors as well. Right. He has influenced so many people Mm -hmm. with his career. But um, so I look at Brazil and I look at this shouldn't work on paper. I look at 12 monkeys. You're going to cast Brad Pitt as as who now? (laughs) You're going to make you're going to make Brad Pitt do what? I mean. Okay, Bruce Willis tracked. Bruce Willis was Bruce Willis in that movie. He's a Bruce Willis in almost every movie, but the whole nine yards. Mm. But oh, and Hudson Hawk. But but I digress. No, that was one hundred percent Bruce Willis. <laughs> That's who he is in real life. Yeah, but that, Hudson Hawk. Yeah, but Bruce Willis is the same character in every other movie he's done. Yes. Essentially, Hudson Hawk is a departure. But Brad Pitt in that movie went from being pretty boy who happens to be there just to be pretty to one of the most compelling actors of that era. And it it started that whole trend Mm -hmm. of if he's dirty, it's a good movie and he's acting really Mm -hmm. well. And so you've got, you've got 12 monkeys, which is another wild vision. uh, One of the most satisfying time travel movies I've ever seen because, well, is it really time travel or are people just crazy? You never know. I I, I will. Um, I will say this. I will say that 12 monkeys is probably one of the, has to be at the top of the list of best sci-fi movies that isn't mm -hmm. a franchise. Yeah. Agreed. It's, it's utterly like it's utterly, utterly beautifully realized. It's stark. It's, prophetic in some ways it's just it's a gorgeous movie and it takes a truly like um i want to say bizarre mind but it's not he's not bizarre he's he's bold in ways that many directors aren't because he knew from the start his career was based on being wacky and being absurdist and he needed to do something a little different and he wasn't afraid to do it so one of the things about terry gilliam is that he's an artist and mm-hmm. when you look at Monty Python, like he's the one that did all the animations. He is an artist. Yep, so when visual. he's making his movies, he is making art. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the? But tr- I think I know what your worst movie of his is going to be. Well, well, we'll still. There's one more movie that I didn't actually remember that he directed mm-hmm. that I love. Yeah, and that's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. That's now, Nick Cage, right? No, yeah. that's no, that no, 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 that's um. Oh, he's playing Hunter S. Thompson. It's um, Benicio it? del Toro, and I'm looking it up right now. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Oh, Johnny Depp. Okay, Johnny yeah, Depp. yeah, yeah. He's talking and about like we did. We like, got look, Quaaludes, this, that, yeah. another. You know, it's, it's the most alien world to me. As somebody who has never touched a recreational drug in his life, it is the most alien world to me. Yet it is so beautifully realized. And the moments when they're on the different drugs, and the world changes, and the visuals change, and the audio changes. That it's it's such a um, it's like okay I didn't need to be high to understand what it's like to be high in that moment, and that's I'm, powerful. I'm also going to give him credit for dealing with an actor's death mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't make it obvious in the story, and he rewrites mm-hmm. the plot to make it work. And that's when it was Keith Ledger that passed, and he yeah. ended up having that character and the Imaginarium of Dr. Pranarsis played by yep. three different people throughout the movie, and it just mm-hmm. kind of works. I also, another one that you did not mention that I absolutely love and loved growing up and I introduced Tech to, and that is um, The Adventures of Baron von Munchausen, mm-hmm. which... So- We'll connect to another director later. Yeah. Time Bandits, Brazil, and the uh, the Adventures of Baron von Munchausen are all 
a trilogy, sadly, of which I have not actually watched all of the movies, oddly enough. I love there. There's a lot of directors that I love the work they do that I don't haven't seen everything of theirs. Um, well, if his, it helps, he's got Time the most Bandits breadth. would have been my worst movie of mm. his until he made a certain other movie. So my my least favorite, just by description alone, I think mm. the one that seems like it would be the biggest stinker, uh, and it's possibly because of circumstance and possibly because it's well outside of his wheelhouse. And I don't think he should, he maybe should have talked about or touched upon the subject matter uh, from the reception was Tideland. Because he was dealing with mental health issues and very grounded, real things when his wheelhouse tends to be uh, the more bizarre and it was received poorly. And there's a reason why it wasn't his finest work. And as well, he was obsessed at the time with working with uh, with Johnny Depp on The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And that movie didn't get made until 13 years later, but he was still obsessed at the time with making it. So gotcha. I've never seen that movie or even heard of it. So. Yeah. And so, uh, of the ones I've seen, I'm honestly going to say, and it's, it's weird to say, cause it stars one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite actors and it got an Academy Award. I'm going to say the Fisher King was the weakest of the ones that he did. Really? Ooh. Yeah. That, because it's I... not, it's not my cup of tea. That's the thing. It's not quite. I'm going to yeah. argue. I'm going to argue with that. And I don't know if yeah. you've seen the movie that I'm thinking about because I actually enjoyed The Fisher King. Um, the Brothers Grimm. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, wow. I wrote that one in my Grimm. memory. Come on. That movie was, was just trash. I was going to say, how you're right. That could y'all trash. pick The Fisher King when it has Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges? I mean, again, it wasn't my cup of tea. That's the only reason I say it's the worst, but you're right. The Brothers Grimm, absolute trash. <laughs> I mean, I, I forgot that I'd seen it. That's the problem. I wrote it on my brain. Until you said it, it again, I was like, isn't that the one where they're hunting the legends? Brothers Grimm, wasn't that like uh, Matt Damon and someone else <laughs> hunting legends? Like actually hunting them like they were vampire hunters or some Well, no, they dribble. were the Brothers Grimm, but yeah, the yeah, things were real. It's... And it was okay. very Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's, his, turn... that's his stinker. They gave they gave the Grimm's fairy tales the Van Helsing treatment. Yeah, and that was Matt Damon, Heath Ledger, Lena Headey, Monica Bellucci, Jonathan Price. I mean, you had that was a cast. It was a great cast, and it was some of uh, Terry Gilliam's favorite people because Heath Ledger's been in a bunch of his things. Yeah, Um, and it just it it you know sometimes it just doesn't. I will I will say this: it's like he was competing. With um oh wow um why did my brain completely forget Helen Bonham Carter's husband? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. It's oh. like he's competing with Ex-husband. Tim Burton. Oh, yeah, okay. Aren't they? They're it's, not still married. Are I, th- they? I think they're still together, or maybe not. Oh. But it's like it's like Terry Gilliam was competing with uh with him over who got to have Johnny Depp's love. Yeah, they're not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong, though. Like, you're not wrong. So, yeah, they, they are not together yeah. right now, but um, they were married from 2001 to 2014. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 right. But, uh, yeah, so that's my that's my first of my favorite directors. Who gets to f- f- covet Johnny Depp's love? I love it. Oh, All right, it's so true. Can I go next? Yeah. All right, I'm going to throw a wild card because this isn't one that I talked about, but one that I'm going to bring up now as one of my favorite mm-hmm. film directors. And I have to talk, I have to represent someone French. Oh. I have to oh. talk about Luc Besson. Of course. Oh, oh, I should have known. Yep. 
Yeah, actually, so, that's that's perfect. So he's won awards for films like Leon the Professional and The Messenger, the story of Joan of Arc. And he's done things like uh, Subway, The Big Blue, La Femme Nikita, The Fifth Element, Lucy, things like Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which we can just just ignore and pretend they didn't happen. Well, everyone's got to have a, a stinker. Luc Besson is a complicated individual. And there's a common thread in the movie of his that I have seen where he likes powerful, independent women that can take care of themselves. They are the self-rescuing princesses of their stories. And he was kind of alone in Hollywood at the time to be the only one that was sort of doing this in this way that they didn't need the man. The man was in the story but they didn't need him. And that's not the only thing. He's not a one note, uh, not a one note guy. I mean, he also did a, um, a, a franchise in French called Taxi, which is the story of a Marseille taxi driver who happens to drive instead of a normal taxi cab. It's a race car, but it's kind of like, it's a, it, it's hidden. It's kind of subterfuge. And there, he's used by the police to help solve a bunch of crimes. But all the practical effects about the cars driving through the streets of Marseille are all wonderful and fantastic. And mm-hmm. then somebody turned it into a glorious train wreck of an awful Hollywood gonna, movie. I was going to say, I was, that was my favorite Jimmy Fallon movie. Right, with Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah in New York with a yellow crown Victoria. And it was an absolute disaster of a horrible movie. But... Things like Leon the Professional, and um, which is has to be one of my favorite movies of all time, and uh, La Femme Nikita that it's based on, which is even better in French. Um, Does it help that he only wrote the taxi movies? He didn't direct them? Oh, he wrote them? Yeah. Oh, oh my. Never mind. Yeah. Okay, so he doesn't <laughs> get credit for those. But I love but they're the, great movies. I love the taxi films. But he is also problematic. Yes. In that he has a problem with marrying his actresses because the woman that he had played Nikita in La Femme Nikita in the original French version, he ended up marrying and then divorced her and then married another woman. But before he divorced her. No, no, no. Wait, I found out there's more to the story. Okay. So he married and divorced her and then married another woman, which kind of looks like her clone. He then hired um, Mila Jovovich to be in this movie called The Fifth Element. Just a little, and just while, a little indie flick. Huh? Just a yeah, little, little, indie little indie flick, which has to deal with the character that Mila Jovovich played having, having this unique language that no one understands. That Luc Besson and Mila invented the language together, and they would spend all day flirting with each other, speaking in this language. Now... The, the diva, the opera star in that movie, the blue alien woman with the, the head, the, the tentacle headdress, mm. that was his first wife. Oh. Imagine yeah. the gall of inviting your ex-wife to watch you flirt with the new chippy and then divorcing your current wife to marry the new chippy while your ex-wife watches. So look, is by no means an angel. He is not a perfect human being, but gosh darn it, do I love his movies. I, I, when you said that he was making movies about strong, independent women and all of that, and I was thinking, yeah, and he's kind of a creepo, but, and then you said, and he was the, one of the few doing it at that time, and I was thinking, 
There's another creepo that was doing yeah, that at the time, his, but his doing it on the smaller screen. His, his first name happens to rhyme with Moss, doesn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Wait, he also wait. Luc Besson also did Taken. Oh, oh. Did he direct or write it? Which Taken? Written by Luc Besson with Liam Neeson. He knows all the Taken. A particular set of skills. Yes. Um. And here's something really funny. Apparently, he was in a car accident at 17 and cannot drive, but he wrote those taxi movies. <laughs> well, a fantasy about what a good it. driver should be. So he was fantasy. No, I get it. I love his movies, and he looks like a weirdo French Kevin Smith. Um, I I like Luc Besson. I like his movies, and I, I think The Fifth Element is also one of the best sci-fi movies. So full that's, stop. That's not a franchise. Full stop. It's one of the best sci-fi movies. Yeah. Also, it's one of the best sci-fi movies that is not part of a franchise. And that's the thing is I so, hated that movie so much when it came but out. But how many times have you seen it now? Oh, my God. I love that movie. So You, you watch and, it every couple of months. And this is the thing we've got to acknowledge, too. And I think favorite actors, I say the same thing often, too, is you can separate the work a person does from the person they are to a degree. Sometimes. It's not wrong for me to like a movie that Kevin Spacey is in, but acknowledge that Kevin Spacey is problematic. And to put it lightly. acknowledge that now that the world knows, mm-hmm. we don't need to be giving him more opportunities to make no. money and continue that behavior. But it, uh, but it doesn't mean that we have to automatically discount all the work that that person exactly. has right. done as well. Yeah. Exactly. That they, you can do great work and be a horrible person. I mean, let's let's be let's be honest. If we discounted the work of every single person that had problems in the world, we would not have movies. The Cosby Show had a cultural impact. It did. And we cannot deny that. And it is important. So that yeah. said, that person took that power and abused it. Mm-hmm. So Entirely we're, true. We're on a, we're on a whole different highway here, but, sure. um, yeah. So, so Luc Besson, I mean, come on, just those two movies so what's alone. What's worst movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Whatevers that I've never seen just absolutely dumpster fired in theaters. Um, I, I, I was thinking like uh, it didn't dumpster fire in theaters, but the one that I refused to watch. Yes. And so I know it's supposed to be something that we've watched. Isn't Lucy the one where it's like, oh, she's going to use more than 10 percent of her brain? <laughs> yes. Nonsense? Oh, my. Yeah. But wait, 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 wait. Luc, uh, Luc Besson did that movie? Yes. yes. So so here's the oh, thing. That's, and it's ScarJo. So I flawed? checked out. I was like, your brain science is okay. wrong. I'm not watching your movie. Flawed, flawed brain science. Not my favorite actress, visually and uh, visually gorgeous and well realized, and some really inventive stunt or stunt work and stuff like that as well. That's what he does. That's right. Valerian. So his his key his key pieces were all over it, which makes it a better movie than Valerian by far. <laughs> I I think not. I think Valerian gives us more of that Fifth Element vibe, which is insanely better yeah. than uh, <laughs> than uh, Scar Joe's. No. More than ten percent of her brain. What was the? Uh, I I I'm blanking because I can't find the IMDb reference. What's the one he did with Zoe Saldana? Colombiana. Colombiana. That, that was yes. That's excellent. Yeah, that was La Femme Nikita again with Zoe Saldana. Because if you look at if that's you, also written by, not directed. But if you look at his wives, if you look at Anne Perio, Maywan Labesco, Mila Jovovich, Virginie Silla, and then you look at Zoe Saldana. Actually, mm. look at Virginie Silla. 
Is she looks a little yes. more like Zoe Saldana. He he <laughs> has a type. Okay. I mean, I mean, he he didn't marry ScarJo, but that's because well, she, well, she hates that nickname. She, she hates that nickname. Uh, but right, but but she doesn't. But, but she doesn't meet his type. Yeah. Well, that and uh, I mean, Colin Jost was already married to her at the time. So as an L head writer, uh, yeah, Colin yeah. Jost, funniest man ever to be tormented by his uh, his um, partner on the show. Ever, <laughs> but anyway, sure. that's a very specific criteria. I will say yeah, weekend weekend update partners sometimes mess with each other, but not to the extent that Michael Che messes with him. So anyway, that's a that's a digression. Jason, Jason. what have you got? Uh, so I thought about making a director sandwich, but I decided against it. But since you talked about problematic, then I'll go with this guy first. Uh-huh. Um, my first director is going to be Quentin Tarantino. Um, Quentin Tarantino, because I've thought about this. Uh, I talked with a friend of ours named Raven a lot about this because we talk about movie directors all the time. Um, who's the most influential director of my of this generation, so to speak? And I think it for me, it's Quentin Tarantino. Um, he turned genre film into award-winning multi-million dollar box office smashes. And he did it starting out as an independent director. And we all know independent directors. Matter of fact, I've got you all interested in a fellow by the name of Stephen Tramontana. Mm -hmm. And to think that Quentin Tarantino came Mm -hmm. from that origin space to make things like Django Unchained from Dust, he uh, wrote the screenplay for Dust Till Dawn, Jackie Brown. The World War II movie that uh, Quentin Tarantino did. Are we allowed to Inglorious Bastards. We're allowed to say that name on this yes, podcast? Yes. yes Bastards with an E. Yes. you can, And it's part of the title. So yes. we can't name necessarily any of the characters in that movie. That's true. We'll be there. There's one that starts with Bear, who is the best character in that movie. The scene of that character, of the bear, walking out of the tunnel, twirling an aluminum baseball bat, is probably one of the best scenes ever put to film. Parents, watch it first before you decide to let your kids watch. Quentin uh, uh, Tarantino, don't let your kids watch. <laughs> Never if, let your children look, watch Quentin if, Tarantino. If only for the fact that they might suddenly develop a foot fetish. Don't and, let your kids watch this movie. But and, but th- that's the thing. We know that Quentin Tarantino is a weird foot guy. It- it's a and thing. It's known in Hollywood, but it's not in his movies. No, a lot. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's Over in the movies. Movie. There's a lot of foot scenes, Whoa. usually with, uh, what's her name? He enjoys Listen. Uma Thurman barefoot. Yeah. Well, Uma Thurman, there's a whole scene in that movie where she's like, now just move your big toe. And, and we will not mention next- where it takes place. And for we will the not next- mention where it takes place. And for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> We're just um, staring okay. at her from I will say this. Up. I look at that scene, I look at that scene in a completely different light now, having lived a moment like that, where I woke up unable to move in a the single muscle foot- in my butt. No, unable uh, in to, the unable foot to move a, no, I woke up unable to move a single muscle in my body, aware that I was awake but unable to move for ten minutes. That scene is horrifying to me now. So but that's powerful. Yeah. So the reason why I say he's problematic is because Sometimes he doesn't ask if it's okay when he's filming. Like he just does it. And that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, ask Uma Thurman. Exactly. He broke and, her back. And, and and this is my problem with Quentin Tarantino. Like I, I like about half of his movies and the other half has Uma Thurman. And I just don't like her. <laughs> well, 
and the funny thing is that's what connects us to Terry Gilliam because she was in she she was Venus in uh, uh, Baron von Munchausen. Because uh, I I I didn't like Pulp Fiction. I know I'm supposed to. I know that all of the tropes of the 90s, and it has probably one of the best. It has one of the best soundtracks ever put to film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Barna. It, it it just that, does. That's a gift that Quentin Tarantino does have. I the soundtracks. Say. Yes. Every single one of his soundtracks are amazing. Well, but I thought I thought hmm? he puts up bangers and he ties the soundtrack to the movie very oh, well. Yeah. And he he uh, gets a good feel for his movies. But Reservoir Dogs to me was better than Pulp Fiction because, come on, stuck in the middle with you with a razor blade and a jerry can of gasoline? Reservoir Dogs, I think, is bar none 100% better than Pulp Fiction. I think Foxy Brown is better than Pulp Fiction. Or Jackie Brown, yeah. Jackie Brown, sorry, not Foxy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Foxy Brown ins- helped inspire Jackie Brown. Yes, he, yes. he did that movie uh, in response to his love. Again, also, he loves genre films, so black exploitation, yeah. kung fu, crime movies. Oh, that's his oh, space. Yeah. And if you're going to make it, if you're going to make a, a black exploitation movie, and you're going to have an actress uh, center and front and center with it, again, he likes movies with empowered women in, in sure. them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pam Greer, yes, great definitely. choice. Oh my, absolutely, one hundred percent, couldn't go wrong. And. You know, to flip a genre on its head, like Django Unchained. Mm. And so it's, I'm glad you brought Django Unchained <laughs> up because he's got a story. He, we joked, we made the joke in the beginning about these guys aren't perfect. And Quentin Tarantino can make it, he probably could, some people could make an argument that his films are perfect because they are genre films. And we all know genres have their own particular, particular audience. But, the fact that he did Reservoir Dogs off the back of True Romance, by the way, that he wrote that screenplay. You know what I'm saying? Like, but he didn't direct it, so it doesn't yeah, count direct. as one of his ten. But it, I, I bring it up because it paid for Reservoir Dogs. And as great as Reservoir Dogs is, I think it's his worst film because I'm a fan of Pulp Fiction. I would say those are reverse for me in tech. But I would say Reservoir Dogs is his worst. Pulp Fiction being one of his best. Though Django Unchained, I think, is his best, but I cannot talk <laughs> um, about Django Unchained. So, so many things I want to quote from the you movie. You can't mention can. 90% of the dialogue in that None movie for a certain reason. But um, um, I cannot remember his name, but uh, the lead actor in Django Unchained, the German fellow with the salt and pepper oh, beard. Um, Christoph Waltz. He, he was in, he was in, uh, 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 Christoph Waltz. He was in Inglourious Bastards as well. Yes. Yes, he is a ama- yeah. Well, yeah, he was the guy that was trying to tell them to count to three. He was right? also in the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Parnassus. He's it's amazing. Nice. Yeah, um, I'm going to make an argument for the Hateful Eight being his worst movie. Oh, see, I Cause, liked cause the Hateful Eight. I, I I liked it, but it was too indulgent in its long dialogue scenes. Is that the Adam Sandler one? No, no that is no. no. That no, is Kurt Adam Russell. Sandler. Yeah, that is Kurt Russell. Samuel Jackson and one of the main antagonists from uh, Timothy Oliphant's Justified. You know, it's it's his it's his old west. Wait, movie, is it Timothy Oliphant or movie. is it just no, somebody no, no. from it's, Justified? No. Um, remember, for those of you who have seen Django Unchained, the gentleman who talks to Jamie Foxx and says, "I want to go walking in the moonlight with you." That guy is the third wheel to in, uh, yeah. Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight was uh, post Civil War um, western. 
about a bunch of people caught in a blizzard at a stagecoach stop. And among them, there's a murderer, I believe it is. But it's it's so Tarantino does dialogue incredibly well. Pulp yes. Fiction opening with the, the tipping argument. Um, the, one of the best one of the best opening introduce a bunch of characters di- scenes you'll ever see. The, but the, the, the monologue, like as much as I hate uh, Pulp Fiction, the things like Royale with cheese, mm-hmm. get the gimp. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Say what again? Yeah, the big Kahuna burger whole that whole scene. Yeah, and all of those are just amazing dialogue, and most of them are on the back of Sam Jackson because he is amazing. He By is the way, well. Sam Jackson does hold the record for being in the most Quentin Tarantino films because he was in both he's, volumes of Kill Bill. He's his uh. Sam Jackson is to Quentin Tarantino what Johnny Depp is to Tim Burton. Oh, <laughs> yeah, one of those is lo- solidly he's better. That, he's the love that got away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I I did not see the Hateful Eight at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna say the uh, Quentin Tarantino movie that I disliked the most was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was indulgent AF. Mm-hmm. Uh... And technically, that's supposed to be his 10th movie. So Quentin Tarantino huh. has said he also, will only make 10 movies. Ninth. That was only his ninth. I, let me finish. Let me finish a sentence before you mansplain this to me. What? You said it was his ninth. I just Ten. said, anyway. technically, it is his 10th. But I believe he's counting Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as one movie, mm-hmm. which is not going to count as 10. And why am I talking about 10? That is because Quentin Tarantino has said he will retire after his 10th movie Mm -hmm. that he wrote and directed because he believes that directors don't get better after their 10th movie and he doesn't see a point in in diminishing. To to be fair, there's not a lot of directors that get 10 movies. No, mind you. I also also like that he is not afraid to just absolutely shut down people who go, well, your movies are inciting violence and things like that. Yeah. He's not afraid to just outright shut someone down, but you're right. Once upon a a time in Hollywood, not only, not only a movie that is super indulgent, but uh, can we get over the racist depictions of Bruce Lee, please? Or the Bruce Lee was a prick because he was better at everybody than fighting thing. I mean, that's kind of not I wrong. Like, I like the scene. I mean, I did like the scene because it's funny that a stuntman could whoop him, but but it's I... not. But he's not. But he's like, yes, it feels stereotypical. It feels kind of wrong, but he wasn't a hundred percent wrong about Bruce's attitude. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's... It's just it seemed jarring compared to the a rest lot... of the movie. That scene just didn't have a place. A lot of that scene came from like other accounts that people have had. Yep. Um, and it's an amalgamation for sure. Yeah. Um, but- the whole thing, like basically Brad Pitt's Robert Wagner, right? Like, I'm happy by the way. Nobody said death proof because death proof was good. It's a short for being just for being just an extended. It was it was him and Robert Rodriguez put out the double bill that had Machete as the commercial. Oh, with the girl with the M16 for a leg. Yeah, that was Robert Rodriguez's. That was Rodriguez's movie. But Death Proof was the one about uh, it was Kurt um, Russell in a fancy car. It was Kurt Russell as the stunt driver who uses the car to murder young women that he picks up in bars. Yeah, and it was it was it was just 
because it was him going, it was Quentin Tarantino going, I've worked with this young actress, this young stunt woman named Zoe Bell a bunch of times before. I'm going to put her in a movie. And it allowed her to show off some seriously crazy stunt work, practical effect stunt work that nobody else would have let her do, but he trusted her to do it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I like that movie. I like that. No, no, no. Uh, Death Proof, Death Proof is fun. And it, again, being double billed like that with Machete, one of my favorite B movies mm. as a commercial, as an advertisement yeah. in that film. Excellent. Cause we don't deserve uh, any trouble. Now, mind you, why did they never make Nazi Werewolf Woman of the SS? That was one of the other commercials as well. And they did make Hobo with a Shotgun, which was the third one. And Hobo with Shotgun, if you've not seen it, is excellent. She just wanted to be a teacher, guys. We have the auto we have the autographed Hobo with a Shotgun comic book downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. It's all well and good that Quentin Tarantino seems to think that directors just get worse after ten movies. I'm talking about a director who didn't get worse after forty years of making movies. And just under four, after 35 years of making movies, he changed the movie industry. He changed how we watch movies. Who you got? That would be Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. I'm interested in seeing what you think is his worst film. Oh, uh, my worst, my worst film from him. Oh, yeah. Is controversial because it is on, I believe it's on the AFI's top 100 list. Also, I'm going to quickly say, because I know you, you got a lot to get to. He also had, was had a thing for hurting people who worked with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kubrick, Kubrick got it from him. So, yeah. Nutty. Yes. Good evening. Good evening. Exactly. Um, I love Hitchcock. Um, one summer, my sister and I, uh, AMC was doing this thing where every single night they would play a different Hitchcock movie. And we tuned in almost every night. So I spent a summer watching Hitchcock and I did not get bored. Uh, some of them I liked more than others. Some of them I checked out on. Uh, but I also studied Psycho in school. And I'm sorry, Psycho is a classic movie. We don't need to remake it. We don't need to make sequels to it. <laughs> we definitely Especially. don't need to make sequels. Especially shot for shot remakes. Yeah, infinitely inferior actors. Vince Vaughn, you are not a good actor. Um, he he redefined horror. I mean, Jamie Lee's mom did a perfect job, and we don't need to recast her. Um, so who was that? Janet Lee. She's Janet Lee. Yeah, she's okay. the one that gets killed. So uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's wow. parents is, and I'm <laughs> going off memory. So if I'm wrong, go ahead and give me a flurry of emails. Uh, uh, Janet Lee and Tony Curtis. Some like it hot, Operation Petticoat, Spartacus, the Defiant Ones. Yeah. Sweet Small like, Success. Yeah, okay. Everything. Yeah, so everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Old Hollywood, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. Oh, and a US Navy veteran. Oh, well there you go. And at, at that uh Vox, hmm. he was a signaler. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Not the point. Uh, but, uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, I mean, he made amazing movies. He scared people so much. He made a movie that has my name. We're not going to talk about that, but, uh, a lot of these movies were really amazing. They, they definitely were, it was sadly, and I don't want to make this comparison, but he was the blockbuster director of the day. So. Michael Bay of his time, except he was 
making good movies, not horrible explosions. So much so that he had a TV show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Now, it only had 17 episodes. Is that it? Because it seemed like it was on forever. Because they just played it over and over again. But there were some really good uh, little stories there, too. Well, my thing is Alfred Hitchcock Presents, I feel, was the prototype for The Twilight Zone. Well, yeah, they they only had three show, television shows at that time. It was Alfred Hitchcock presents The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits. Right, and I would <laughs> now, uh, uh, Vox, you grew up in the same town that I did, but I remember a Power Block hour on TV mm-hmm. where it was Alfred Hitchcock presents for the first thirty minutes, and then the second half was The New Outer Limits. Yeah. Yeah. You get Alfred Hitchcock and then you get Outer Limits. Do not adjust your vertical. We control mm-hmm. the horizontal. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So the worst movie. Good evening. My controversial pick for the worst movie, Hitchcock movie that I've seen mm-hmm. is North by Northwest. I was, I was hoping that's what you pick because <sighs> from, from a critic standpoint, that's what they, a lot of people say is the worst of his films. A lot of people don't really. Even, Yes. It's they like on all of these lists, everyone's like, oh my God, it's such a good movie. I'm yeah. like, it's but, terrible. So, but that's the so, thing. Like I when I did my film class uh last semester, we talked about this movie because he showed it. It was the first movie we watched in class because a lot of critics do not like this movie when it's compared to the rest of Hitchcock's work. So the thing that's enduring about North by Northwest is something that I was going to say earlier about him. If you want a master class in blocking a scene. Watch yeah. Hitchcock yes. in, in blocking a scene so that things flow properly, mm-hmm. so that there's so that they move properly. And that one scene that everybody who knows North by Northwest at all, even has seen a pop culture reference to it, knows is the guy running down the road yes. with the with the plane flying after him. And that is perfectly blocked um, so that you can see everything that's important and nothing that doesn't matter. And that's the, why it's so striking. The shower scene in Psycho. Mm-hmm. You see absolutely nothing happen. And it is horrifying. But um, the shower scene yeah. happens within the first 15 minutes of the movie. Right. And before that movie, people would come in late to movies. They would just walk in whenever. The idea is you'd buy your ticket and you'd just walk into the movie. People didn't come for the start of the movie. There wasn't anything like trailers or anything like that to catch. So when they advertised, they said, you won't want to miss the first 15 minutes. And theaters had special instructions to not allow anyone into the theater if they came late. So you had to see that scene in order to watch the rest of the movie. Mm. And it changed yep. how we watch movies, which I think yeah. is fantastic because he's like, how can I set up a story if people are just walking in whenever? They missed all of the foreshadowing. What am I doing here? So he designed this movie and this campaign to make people watch the clues, which I think is so cool. Uh- I, I can't remember the name. What was the one with the guy falling off the top Vertigo? of the, the Statue of Liberty? Vertigo. Vertigo. Inventing that whole special effect yeah. of mm-hmm. how they did the shot of how do you make someone fall from a place where you can't actually film. You can't drop an actor off the top of the Statue of Liberty. I mean, come on. it's it, That's just not going to happen. So well, how his do name's you, not Tom Cruise. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> So how do you fake it? And then coming up with that practical effect and finding a way to do it that people are still ripping off today. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you know, I'm a fan of North by Northwest because let's be honest, we wouldn't have things like Ocean's Eleven or any of those serious kind of drama or, or you know, whodunit movies that are funny without North by Northwest. North by Northwest is really funny. Like the auction scene in in the North by Northwest is hilarious. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I I guess I don't know. I just hate that movie. <laughs> I just hate <laughs> and, that and, movie. And a, and a lot of people agree with you, Nettie, because it's not Psycho. It's but not it's Vertigo. Number fifty five on the AFI's top one hundred list. So I, Listen, I my fa- my favorite movie by Hitchcock is The Birds. I think The Birds are is excellent. I love that movie. Everybody, yeah, The Birds is is quite excellent, and a lot of people really do enjoy <clears throat> that movie. Um, there, uh, what I love is um. It's he did strangers on a train, not straight. Yeah, strangers on a train. That's the one I'm looking for. Um, which I first saw as Throw Mama from the Train, which is like a, a remake of it. And then when I watched the original one, I was like, "Oh, this is amazing! This is great!" Well, people have remade a ton of his movies. They re they remade Dial M for Murder. Oh, yes, yeah, and we're and we're going back to the influence of the directors are the directors that resonate with us, the ones that we don't even know. That we've seen their work because we've seen their work in other people's work. Yes, right? absolutely. How, how tons of that? How many Hitchcock movies were ripped off for Simpsons episodes? Oh my god, The Birds. <laughs> the Simpsons did well, everything first. Don't, uh, Mister uh, Mr. Burns. Do you think it's a good idea to have all of your caretakers with no television and no movies and no beer for an entire winter? I mean, won't that drive them mad to kill each other? Well. If we come back in the spring and they've all killed themselves, I owe you a Coke. That wasn't <laughs> that wasn't Hitchcock, though. Oh, that was Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. <laughs> well, to be I, fair. Think you're, I think you're getting ahead of yourself here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll you're, get there. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, um, we'll, but we'll there's there. a we'll but no. There. Um, yeah, but the, the Hitchcock. So, it, no, it's the same thing. They've they've ripped him off about a million times. In the face of the greatness of Hitchcock, I've had to modify who my second director is because nobody is going to stack up to that. So I'm going to go in a softball direction. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I was originally going to go with my replacement favorite director for uh, Quentin Tarantino for some of Tarantino's visual sensibilities and everything. I was going to go with Edgar Wright because if you want a movie where music, yeah. visual, and everything works beautifully together. Well, it's not the whole movie. It's the opening scenes. Watch Baby Driver. The credit scene and the chase scene that comes after it are the two or the, that it comes after are two of the best scenes you'll ever see when it comes to music, visual and story timing together. But to be fair, I, I'm going to jump to somewhere else instead. Okay. That's such a I'm going to jump he, to. He some... just explained one director and now is going into a... uh, yeah, now he's now, stealing a right, director. Right now. I'm going to go to, I'm, but, but that's the thing. He's, he's a, a favorite director of mine for one movie. And that's not what my criteria are. I'm going to go with Kevin Smith. Oh, because there you Kevin go. Okay. Smith, good choice. Because Kevin Smith went from being a dude who filmed a movie for college in his workplace while working a shift he wasn't supposed to work <laughs> to being one of the most influential comedians of uh, comedic writers of his time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get this out of the way, breaking my own rule. First things first, Cop Out was his worst movie. Come at me. 
Cop Out. Which one's Cop Out? That was the movie where Bruce Willis phoned it in more than he's ever phoned it in before. And Tracy Morgan didn't care he was in it. Because Tracy Morgan, because Tracy Morgan's not funny. And then you put him against somebody who is Bruce Willis, a.k.a. I'm sarcasm incarnate by but, lack of I've never action. Even heard of but this. Tracy Morgan naturally has a face that looks like I'm phoning it in. Okay. Yeah. I, and they named it and, Cop Out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so this is the thing. I could have gone with Jersey Girl. I could have gone the easy way and gone with Jersey Girl. Uh, uh, but I that will movie fight has, you on Jersey Girl. I was going to say, say, people say Jersey Girl, but it has heart. Jersey Girl's yeah. better than Cop Out, dog. Yeah. Jersey Girl yeah. is a good movie. Everybody gives Jersey. it a hard time because uh, J Lo played the wife yeah. who died. Who di- yeah. Spoiler alert: she dies. Um, mm-hmm. But one, none of her acting was wrong, and let's not forget that she played Selena, so the girl knows how to act. Mm-hmm. Okay, like everybody so, gives her a hard time, but she played yeah. Selena. Okay? I mean, she dated P Diddy for a while. You got to no. act to be. It has nothing to do with who she also, dated. Nutty, no. t- tell me you're from New York without telling me you're from New York. Okay. Did you like the Selena movie? Okay. Ah, that also, has nothing to do with New York. I'm not from Southern California. Okay, I will say this. I will say this. Jersey Girl is not a favorite movie of mine, but it also did. It, if we're going with a little bit of a callback here, it had uh, it had Kevin Smith's you know first uh, love that got away in it. Yes, it had George ben Carlin Affleck. in it. No, oh, no, it had George Carlin in it. <laughs> ben too. Affleck was the love that didn't get away. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is Jay Muse, but Jay Muse and him have the best relationship ever. If you put the two of them on screen together, which he does often, and you let Jay Muse do his thing while you just sit and play the straight man to him, that takes that takes some serious gumption to do. Oh, yeah. Because Jay Muse can go off on some tangents that are just a bit weird. He's a, he's a very powerful personality, yes. isn't he? Yes. yes. And to be wise enough to know that you need to pair that bold a personality, that powerhouse of a personality with a silent character is genius. But he not uh, only not only did he bring us the Clerks movies, he brought us some of some movies that people who even don't even like his work can't argue are great movies. Dogma was a very, very bold choice in movie making. Because there's a lot of people that movie really made angry. Oh, yes. But it is undeniably a good good movie. movie. And by the way, as somebody who was raised Catholic, I think it is fantastic. As someone who was raised Catholic, there was a dear friend of mine uh, back early in my career that had Buddy Christ on the dash of his car. So Okay, the church around the corner from us, I swear that is Buddy Christ on the statue out front. The only thing missing is the thumbs up. The way that they've repainted the statue, it looks just like Buddy Christ. But yeah, so you look at you look at his body of work though, and like the number of names that you can just you imagine you know the movie right when I say it, right? Like Clerks, iconic. Mole rats. Like that was the perfect expression of a generation at its time. Chasing Amy was a complete left turn for him. And still a wonderful movie. It was a great movie. But can I add something on to mm-hmm. Mallrats? Yeah. Without Mallrats, they could not have included Stanley's cameo properly mm-hmm. in uh, Captain Marvel. Because they Mm -hmm. actually went to Fox and they pulled the old, the recordings of him doing his line and, and takes and different takes and bloopers so that they could get the proper audio because they didn't have proper audio. They, they were going to have Stan Lee come in and re-record his lines, but he passed away. Yeah. So it brought it brought us, it brought us that gift. It was, he was also the one who, 
uh, let's let's not go with the the morbid trend because he was also the one who directed George Carlin's last performance on on screen. So that was Jersey Girl. Yeah. Um. But but like okay, you got Chasing Amy the 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 Clerks movies. Maybe Zach and Mary make a porno. Not the best movies. Yeah, right. I did, I never <laughs> needed a James full frontal nudity in a movie, but somehow I, really I got it did in that. Like that movie though. Yeah, it was so, it was an okay movie, but there was that one scene that I didn't. Yeah, need. no, we didn't need that, but I mean, so, that's where I m- first saw Elizabeth Banks. Yes. So I will She's also amazing. say I have a sadness in my heart for the movie that was not realized that he will not make, mm. because again, like Tarantino giving a deadline to his career, Kevin Smith gave a deadline to his directing career, and it's coming up this year when yeah. Clerks Three comes out. He said that will be the last movie he ever makes. I don't believe him. Cause he I said he wanted, cause he said he wanted to do one movie in the trilogy, but he wanted to do one in his twenties, his thirties and yeah. his forties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is he 49? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know, but he said it would be his last movie. Okay. At one Clerks point. three, but he did not realize another trilogy, the most underrated of trilogies of all. And he robbed us of the best, uh, best He's premise 50, for a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, tr- the Canadian trilogy that he did because of his love of Degrassi high. Oh God. Um, and the, of the weird movies Tusk and Yoga Hosers were the two he made. Mm, I haven't don't seen them. Um, don't I haven't Red State was before those two. Well, Red State was. I'm not going to mention that because I don't like that movie. Uh, it's John Goodman's excellent. So that's not worse than but, Cop Out. No, it's not worse than Cop Out because John Goodman put in a solid performance in a movie that otherwise was a weird departure from what what um, Kevin Smith has usually done. But he deprived us of a movie which had the premise of. It's like Jaws, but with a moose. Oh, well, it's announced. Gosh. They're making it. Uh, it's on IMDb. Okay, so Clerks when? 3 is completed. Yes. The Twilight of the Mall Rats is in pre-production. Sam and Twitch is a TV series which has been announced. Moose Jaws is announced. Okay. Helena Handbag is announced. So Clerks 3 is definitely not his last movie. It's not his last. <laughs> I'm telling you, it also, is not. Moose also, Jaws. Moose Jaws is the best name for a movie also, uh, Kevin Smith goes around and tells the or- his own origin story like he's the freaking joker because it <laughs> changes every time because he was not in film school when he made Clerks he also did not uh, take out student loans to make Clerks and just abandon the school and, and start making it he only was in film school for four months he did not graduate from the Vancouver Film School, uh, because he thought, I've learned enough. I can go home and start making movies. And he went and back he to his hometown. Right. He so- is right, but he went back to his hometown and he, he was working in that store and it was all on, uh, credit cards and he sold his comic. So I mean, it I'm, makes sense that a guy who has a, a, a back and forth origin story like the Joker, that after making it successful and has a child that he names her Harley Quinn. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, by the way, that is the legal birth name of his daughter. The also Vancouver my f- Film School is not the only post-secondary that he mm. dropped out of. Also, no. my my favorite uh, my favorite uh, Kevin Smith fact I just learned today. Mm-hmm. He has one line of dialogue that he wrote that appears in the movie Coyote Ugly. Oh God! Because he wrote that mo- he wrote that movie uh, part of that movie as a rewrite, and then they just scrapped all his rewrites. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> um, it, it also well, I wanted to say like it's not a surprise that he dropped out of uh, schools 
two post-secondaries, it is not a surprise that he promises all these things and does not deliver or doesn't finish because he um never finished that Batman series. And there's another comic series that he was writing that he never finished, and I will never forgive him for that. He is the George George R.R. Martin of big screen movie making. So, and, and comic books. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was it? Not Demiurge's laugh. What was it widening called? Geyer. Widening Geyer. It was such a good, uh, uh, such a good imagining of Batman and the Joker's relationship to one another. My thing is, you guys mm. have brought up Kevin Smith, which gives me the chance to talk about, again, I'm, 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 I like B-movies, so y'all talk about his directing things. He's also added that flair to movies he just randomly shows up in. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Another Wolf Cop, one of my favorite B movies. Another Wolf, what? Another Wolf Cop. That's the name of the movie. Cop, cop. Another C-O-P. Wolf Cop. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's excellent. I it thought is I was going to have to. Nutty with a puh. Pop those plosives. He's, he's, I don't know. He's also the king of, he's also the king of, um, bringing back movie like bringing back movies we've already seen but doing it well like he the the the, the fact that he has made so many Jay and Silent Bob things that I, I'm not tired of them the fact that I was not unhappy to hear there's going to be another Mallrats movie and he gave Jason Lee more credit than anybody did at the time but, but and and the fact that we will all watch a Jay and Silent Bob movie and we will all sit there on the edge of our seats waiting to hear his one line because yeah. he gets one line in a movie, and it's always a good one, and it's always relevant, and then you'll sit there just go. <sighs> Unless it's that one movie where you just started talking and talking and talking. I can't remember. Which I do love Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, where his his one line is just a solid rebuke against Jay, where he just loses his brain for a solid three minutes. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Clerks too. He kept talking. Yeah, maybe. <sighs> but yeah, that's my Tech. that's my third. <laughs> This is nutty in the future. Uh, Clerks 3 is out. Since the recording of this, Clerks 3 is now out in theaters. Somewhat selected theaters. Okay, it's out. Uh, we haven't seen it yet, so check it out. Just giving you an update. And this is not some sexy voice filter, by the way. They just, this is, this is what happened after we finished recording. COVID. As riveting as this conversation is. We kind of had a lot of fun this night and maybe had a lot more to talk about than we realized was enough for one episode. So we're going to break this up into two episodes. So in a day or so, the next episode should drop and you will get the conclusion of our favorite directors or at least the directors that we want to talk about. I'm going to throw some bloopers here so that you can hear one of the many reasons why there's a lot of uh, editing going on in this episode. I hope that you all enjoy this and uh, come back to hear the rousing conclusion of directors that we love. It's computer because it does not go on the servers. Are we ready? Still, yeah, I'm ready. I am indeed ready. I'm full of chicken and ready okay. with the Are we ready for real? Because everybody's like opening cans and making noises. <laughs> Don't blame me like, for that. Are, I, just, <laughs> I said, are we ready? And I heard noises all over. So I'm just thing. blaming everybody. That's the, thing. That's the thing. You said, are we ready? I had to crack open my do it fluid.
<laughs> do it, fluid. But then you said, yeah, we good. Pop. Yeah. Noise, noise yeah. is off. Nutty, go back and edit that. Burrito. <laughs> the Somebody double. just make a really loud noise so I can see the spike in the wave. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Moving on. Um, but yeah, was so the brother's group was... The brother- Nutty Bites is produced by Mimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-NUTTY42. Well, it's summertime, and you know what that means? That means it's just about time for the dog days of podcasting. The 30-day challenge where podcasters get together and record quick and dirty, fun little podcasts that they throw together onto a master feed, and you get to join in on the fun. There's two ways you can join in. You can, and you can do both. You can listen to every single episode that comes out and get a smorgasbord of different topics brought to your ears every single day, Or you can even grab a microphone or your phone and create and record your own podcast every day and join in the fun. If you've never done a podcast before, this is a great way to get your feet wet. If you're a veteran podcaster, this is a great way to spice up the podcasting and make it a little more fun and break yourself out of the habit. It's like a summer vacation. The only thing you really need is to have something to say. So why don't you do it? Grab a microphone or just grab the RSS feed and join us. Go to dogdaysofpodcasting.com and you will find all the information that you need to know to listen or to join us and podcast yourself. Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time. Same-